Welcome to the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas that are shaping the future of agribusiness. Innovation, resourcefulness, and collaboration are essential for feeding a growing population, and we believe the agriculture industry is up for the challenge. Please welcome your host, Tim Hammerich. Hello, and how's it going? Thank you so much for downloading another episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich. I'm an agribusiness recruiter, and it's my pleasure to bring you these stories every week of the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agribusiness. And we have a quintessential, I'm not even sure if I'm using that word right, we have just a, a fantastic interview for you here today, one that really just sums up what this podcast is all about. Uh, we're going to talk about some very, very interesting, very exciting, disruptive technologies that will have an impact on the future of this industry. Uh, I have on the show someone who I'm just so excited to share with you, a name you probably recognize. Uh, every once in a while when I'm doing these interviews, I have to kind of pinch myself and think, what qualifies me to talk to these thought leaders, really the top of the top of our industry, thinking about the future of agriculture? And I don't know that I have a good answer that for that question, but I'm sure grateful. And, and really, probably the best answer is is you listening. If, if I didn't have uh, an audience listening every week, these type of caliber of guests would not be willing to come on the show. But I'm really, really pleased to have on the show here today, Aiden Connolly, who's the Chief Innovation Officer for Alltech. Now, you've probably heard of Alltech. In case you haven't, uh, they help farmers feed the world, raise healthy animals, and protect the environment through nutritional innovation. Uh, they really have their hands in multiple facets of the agriculture industry and are on the cutting edge when it comes to technologies and incorporating new technologies into how farmers and ranchers produce uh, the food of the future. So uh, Aiden has been with Alltech for 27 years now in multiple countries. You will hear from his voice that he's not from the great state of Texas. He's, he's from Ireland uh, and splits his time between there and Alltech's headquarters in Kentucky. Now, recently, our intern, the, the ag grad intern, Taylor Kennedy, uh, visited Alltech in Lexington and got to see some of the exciting work that they're doing. So if you haven't been following along with ag grad's ultimate ag internship with Taylor Kennedy, uh, head over to our YouTube channel at www.aggrad.com forward slash YouTube. Head over to that channel, subscribe, and you will get to see Taylor's visit in the near future. But uh, without further ado, here's Aiden Connolly. I'm just ecstatic to be able to present some of this cutting edge information to you about the future of agriculture. Enjoy my interview with Aiden. Great honor to have on the show today, Aiden Connolly, the Chief Innovation Officer at Alltech. Aiden, thank you so much for joining us. I'm pleased. The honor is all mine. Well, the first question I have is, is how does someone get to become a Chief Innovation Officer? Good question. Um, obviously, there are lots of Chief Innovation Officers in our business. Many of them come from a strictly research background. In fact, in our case, we have made the decision that we need to bring more market insights into our research. So my background is commercial. I've been with the company 27 years. As you can tell from my accent, I am not from Kentucky, and uh, but I have worked for Alltech for 27 years. I had uh, the pleasure of working originally in Ireland for a year. Then I spent two years in France, four years in Brazil, in the Brazilian market, opening up that. Then I moved to uh, the United States, where I worked for four, back to Europe for seven, 
Washington, D.C. for six, and most recently back in Kentucky with this position of Chief Innovation Officer. So I suppose my main job is to make sure that Alltech's research is as focused on the needs of our customers as possible. And so I do spend a lot of time still out in the field with customers, particularly the larger ones, understanding where they see the future of agriculture. And as you're on one of those frequent uh, flights that I'm sure you take, uh, when you sit next to somebody and they ask you, what is Alltech? I've never heard of it. What, what do you tell them? I point out that Alltech is a provider of natural supplements for animal feed. I think most people understand the concept of supplements because, of course, many people take them themselves. And they understand that uh, the world is increasingly looking for natural. Now, I know many of us argue over the exact uh, definition of the word natural. I mean, in essence, everything is natural, but it, it's just something that makes it very easy for somebody to grasp in, in a couple of seconds what it is that we, we do and what we're good at. Yeah. And of course, you all get uh, it becomes a lot more broad than that. And all of the things you're involved in, we're, we're going to get a chance to talk about that more. Most of my questions, as I mentioned to you, Aiden, are, are centered around the speech you gave at your one conference last year, your symposium. Um, It is about disrupting the disruptors and about all the disruption that's going on in technology right now and how that might impact uh, agriculture. But maybe for starters, could you just uh, elaborate a little bit on how Alltech views disruption and innovation and and, uh, sort of do you encourage it and foster it and where does it come from? I suppose we're both uh, excited and, of course, uh, terrified by some of the changes in technology. Um, I know that these are ripping up and changing the playbook for many industries, but it appears as though agriculture has greater opportunities than perhaps any other out there to really see m- massive disruptions. We, we effectively have fed animals and grown crops the same way for thousands of years. Uh, that's not to say we haven't made technological advances, but the sorts of things we're talking about at the moment, um, either in terms of digital technologies gene editing, nutrigenomics, nutrition impacts on genes, for example, these have the potential to increase the efficiency of agriculture many-fold. And so Alltech tries to be a thought leader in helping our customers, producers in general, think about what that means. Um, our, Our general position is that we believe the survivors in the new competition will be those who embrace change quickly. And it's very important not just to look for innovation, but to be the first to use innovation, to be at the forefront of using innovation. So that's that's a, just a general idea of what, how we view it. But in terms of the, the, the way this business is changing and how quickly it's changing, and I know you've covered that in many of your interviews, it's very exciting, but it also uh, it also keeps some people awake at night. And that's, uh, that's clearly uh, clearly what we try to help people think through. Right. It's it's definitely a double-edged sword. And with, with so much chain ha- change happening from so many different angles, how do you strategically decide where to invest your your time and attention and money at Alltech? Um, h- how do you kind of strategically know when it makes sense to invest in an innovation? Very difficult. It really is a challenge. And I think for large companies, medium-sized companies, small companies, we all face the same issue. Traditionally, what we would have done was rely very much upon the founder of Alltech, Dr. Pierce Lines, and his background in yeast and fermentation. Um, more recently, we've done as many larger companies have, and we've thought, right, what do farmers need? What do producers require? And we've gone outside of Alltech to acquire that from other companies. So we've purchased 
technology like the oxygen technology that we purchased from Agway, uh, subsequently obviously now owned by Cargill. We purchased that company. We purchased another company that was involved in carbon footprinting called ECO2, um, et cetera. So, so, so we've been involved in that acquisition. I, I'm quite concerned, uh, but see very positively the startup culture. I think that that uh, people who are younger, uh, middle-aged and even older, making the decision to go with some of these new technologies and set up their own companies, raise funding, try to bring that to the global marketplace as quickly as possible. That's very exciting from Altec's perspective, and that's something we also see as being part of the future. Yeah, and I, I know that you have launched the Pierce Lions uh, Accelerator for that reason. Can you tell us what that is and sort of what uh, what pushed that initiative? Very much along the lines of what we're describing. So we're spotting or, or seeing, which I think many of your listeners will talk about, the importance of digital technologies. And I, I like the Price Waterhouse uh, construct where they talk about the eight categories, uh, drones, robots, sensors, um, blockchain, artificial um, reality, enhanced reality. Um, I, I, I like what, uh, what I see in terms of the analysis of that information uh, through uh, ideas such as the Internet of Things. So, so if we look through all of those different areas, it's very clear that they are going to have a massive impact on the way we farm the land. And in order to tap into some of that, Alltech set up its late stage startup business accelerator. We approached uh, companies, some of them approached us. In total, we ended up with 185 applicants uh, who came on, or applied to come on a 12 week program. We gave them training, management expertise, um, helped them with presentation skills and access on stage at our symposium at the one conference to the three and a half thousand people attending there, some of whom would be customers, some who were potential investors and obviously distributors of those technologies. And those 10 companies have gone on to generate a further $60 million in business. Now, they, they, they are not pure startups. The companies we chose on average had already raised $3 million in funding each so 30 million amongst the 10 companies, and they work from all over the world. But it's still clear um, just how much of innovation is going to be coming from those sorts of companies in the future and how important it is to understand their needs, their wants. And I really feel we have a duty to to help those companies make it to market and be successful. And does Alltech take an equity stake in those companies as part of the program? We have not. Um, we we uh, will uh, take equity stakes in companies when it's appropriate. But we started that accelerator program relatively quickly. The idea came about in August. We were already looking for submissions by October. Uh, we were accepting companies in uh, early December. So by the standards of these types of programs, uh, th- this wouldn't be unusual for us. <laughs> we do things very quickly, sometimes too quickly. But it was very, very fast. And with that in mind, we made the decision not to go through the diligence of deciding uh, who we were investing in or should, you know, was that the right thing to do. So we decided that we weren't going to take equity. And in many ways, many of the companies we spoke to said that was an attraction for them. They're at the stage where money is not the issue. They have a bigger issue with finding customers. And indeed, if you look at startups in general, um, the, probably the biggest struggle they face is having contacts, finding people to buy their product. 
finding those first first users. That's that's where a lot of the focus is. Funding in general, particularly for ag tech, is actually relatively available and is on a relative scale, I still think, not that difficult to raise. Very interesting. Well, you mentioned those uh, eight potentially disruptive technologies like robotics and drones, the Internet of Things, 3D printing, artificial intelligence, virtual reality, uh, augmented reality, and and then also blockchain. And blockchain is something, admittedly, I know very little about. And I'm going to go ahead and guess most of the listeners probably know very little about blockchain as well. Could, could you give us just kind of the basics of blockchain and how it might impact agriculture? Yeah, it's considered uh, by many to be the technology which will most transform uh, food, particularly from a traceability, food safety perspective. And as many of your listeners understand, uh, we farm the land, we produce the food. We often sell it through many, many middlemen before it gets to the consumer. And if there is an issue with it, um, it's quite often difficult to trace back. Now, this is less of an issue in the United States, for example, or indeed even in Europe than it would be in places uh, such as China or India. But even if we look at the egg recall, which has occurred in the last week, uh, the largest egg recall in the history of Europe, uh, affecting 15 countries, it shows how difficult it is in a food system where food is commonly changing hands many times to trace back where that came from. And quite often, people in the middle don't want to be seen to be part of the distribution chain, uh, perhaps taking you know ownership of something and then selling it on. So blockchain is a virtual ledger our virtual uh, bookkeeping system. It allows us to see that food has moved and changed hands from person to person without actually seeing who each person is. So the closest analogy I would give is Bitcoin in the financial circles. You hear a lot about Bitcoin being this virtual uh, currency. It has a lot of value, but you don't actually uh, ever see it. Uh, that same technology is being used in blockchain. Walmart has embraced it in China, not surprisingly, to uh, make sure that all of their produce and meats, milk and eggs are going through systems where even if they don't know who the original farmer was or who transformed it into a yogurt or into some sort of uh, further processed food, they can still go back and, and, and see through the, uh, through the chain exactly where that came from. And in fact, it seems to be so successful they're now discussing about bringing the same system to the United States. So blockchain is... Um, it's definitely something most people can't describe easily, but allows you to to see what's happening in the chain, but not see who the actors are, uh, so you you don't disclose the confidentiality of the system. Interesting. So it's almost like you said, a ledger that's inherent in the currency itself, so that it's very easy to go back and see where, where the value changed hands. Is that right? Yes, yes. It's very much uh, about where who took uh, ownership of it, how they transformed the product or produce, and then what happened all the way to the end. And if there's a particular issue, you can see within a block, the so block is usually two or three people within the transaction. You can see the, the block, but not necessarily each individual person. It's stored virtually. It's incorruptible. It, it is in the cloud, but it's not located in any one location. It's located with many servers. So it makes it uh, impossible for somebody to break the system. But if you think even some of the challenges we've had over the years uh, globally with uh, mad cow disease, tracing back cattle, uh, E. coli, the OH717, uh, 157, excuse me, or you think about salmonella, or you think about the current dioxin PCBs issues, all of these would be greatly aided if it was possible to see what had happened without necessarily, again, 
making it necessary for, for argument's sake, for Walmart to know everybody who's in the chain. Hmm. Aiden, other than blockchain, what are what are those other disruptive technologies do you think will have the biggest impact on agriculture in the coming decade? Clearly, the, the, the robots are something we see being embraced immediately as sensors as well. So those two are two that I think are happening now. Um, any of your listeners will probably can think immediately of examples of where that's happening. Uh, if I think about uh, virtual reality or I think about um, uh, augmented reality, but both of those are things that probably seem a little bit more distant, but actually are being embraced in, in universities. For example, veterinarian colleges are increasingly using them with uh, horses and with cattle to teach uh, students about um, how to uh, how to be involved with uh, veterinary procedures or even how to check whether the animals are pregnant. So you can see how, from a teaching perspective, those technologies. So one I'm most excited by is clearly artificial intelligence. And in particular, I'll give the example of the Caintus company, uh, which is involved with dairy production and is going to use the same technology for, for beef cattle. Um, the ability to go onto a farm and using cameras, which obviously in effect are, are detecting changes in, in, in how cows are moving around the barn, uh, can watch how they eat and how they drink, and using artificial intelligence predict how much minute by minute they've actually consumed a feed, how much water they've drunk, eventually to be able to do things like detect estrus. Uh, these, are, these are things that are transformational in dairy production. And I could give you examples in, in broilers or in, uh, in, in hogs where, where we've got exactly similar sorts of challenges. We're managing animals as a group. We quite often don't know individually how much they eat, how much they drink, if they're sick, when do we need to intervene? And I think artificial intelligence will, will really be transformational in those businesses. Crops, um, very much with drones, drone images, uh, even with um, some of the images that come from satellites, they are using artificial intelligence already. Some success, uh, a lot of success, but some maybe less, uh, some, some, I won't call it failure, but some situations where it hasn't achieved what it should achieve. But I still think that is the transformational technology overall in terms of agriculture, uh, both specifically now and, and, and in the future. Yeah, it's, it's, it seems like it would make sense to be the next generation from having better ways to sense or to collect data to having systems through artificial intelligence that can combine multiple data sets and actually help with the decision making process of, of, of how to to react to that. And I, I know you uh, I've heard you use that that example of the dairy where you can actually uh, evaluate the data on a cow by cow basis. And I think that's really, really interesting. Uh, it's something we've never been able to do. I'm excited to see what the implications of that will be. I think so. And I think, sorry, just to complete, I don't know if any of your listeners have ever watched the YouTube video called uh, Humans Need Not Apply. <laughs> it's about 13 or 14 minutes long. And by the end of it, you begin to wonder if there's any careers left for doctors, lawyers, and, and others. But thinking through what artificial intelligence can do to help uh, accommodate some of those things that we think fundamentally only humans can do, and quite often we make a lot of mistakes because our perceptions are because we, um, we perhaps aren't as smart as we think we are. Um, I think artificial intelligence ha is something that we really need to think about how it could change our business. How could change uh, how we how we manage the farm, and obviously what it could do from a profitability perspective. 
for you personally, does that does that worry you the amount that artificial intelligence potentially could do as far as, um, you know, the same concept you just mentioned about what do the humans do? I think that it's impossible not to think about this and worry about the future. If you're not worried about the future, then you're probably not thinking about all these things. And we have a fair number of people that believe in our business that, that have their heads in the sand and haven't really thought through what comes next, feel that things are going to be exactly the way they were when their their daddy or granddaddy was, was doing business. I, I don't think that's possible to imagine. I feel we are at a very critical point in history. Now, if you ask the question, what happens from now on, there are a lot of very interesting philosophical discussions we could have about you know, what, what, what we do next. Um, obviously, brain power, imagination are going to be very important in terms of the roles we play. I believe there are many roles that uh, computers and artificial intelligence cannot, cannot, uh, cannot do. I don't believe that artificial intelligence is suddenly going to start creating poems or uh, works of art or some of the other creative pieces that, that humans have obviously uh, have obviously been 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 amazing at at, at 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 creating, but nonetheless, some of the pieces we feel that are intrinsic to human behavior and can only be uh, can only be achieved through by humans. I think we're kidding ourselves. You know, is it necessary when so many of our jobs are repetitive and so many of them require uh, decision making at a relatively low level? To imagine that that won't be eventually replaced by computers and specifically artificial intelligence. I think we need to think that through. I'm not sure I'm smart enough to think of all the answers, but I know I've been thinking a lot about the questions, and some of them there's no doubt that they that they are uh, they are concerning. Right, and when I mean you think about this stuff so much, I, and I don't know if you have children, but uh, if 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 you did have young children, how would you be preparing them for a future that looks the way you you just described? My children aren't exactly young, but they're they're still they're not old either. They're 23 and 22, and I try to focus them obviously on pursuing their passion. Um, and I think every parent tries to say the same thing. You know, what really do you want to do? And when you decide what you want to do, do it. But I think it's absolutely essential that they comprehend and feel comfortable with technology. They understand. It's interesting to me to see how many younger people don't understand the full implications of social media. In positive, we always talk about the negative ways, but there's lots of positive ways social media can be used to change the world. We've seen uh, advocacy, you know, the ability to convince people about the benefits and merits of agriculture. Um, I find people are very ignorant about gene editing, hmm. the CRISPR technology. I know the Time magazine led on that last week, so I guess it is starting to become more mainstream but still surprised me how many people in agriculture are not familiar with CRISPR. And I think, uh, again, if I'm talking to my kids, I would certainly ask and request and suggest that they, they read up at least enough to understand uh, some of what that will do. Um, I think that it's also, it is going to be very important. This AI, artificial intelligence is, is also important. But uh, I, I think as much as possible, exposing your children as always, to cultures, ideas, and opportunities to be imaginative. That, that's, that, that's very, very important. So interesting to me. I have, I have a three-year-old, and so I think about that a lot. Is like, you know, I, I will be around, hopefully, God willing, but, uh, but also, you know, what does life look like for her when she's an adult? And um, so I appreciate that. That's, that's 
interesting information. You, you wrote a post, a LinkedIn post called Is Big Food in a Funk? Uh, and and in that post, uh, you had mentioned that since 2009, the top U.S. food and beverage companies have lost an equivalent of $18 billion in market share. Uh, that has to affect agriculture. And could you help connect the dots of how a trend like that uh, affects the future of agriculture? Well, I think we're all living it. And I think what I try to do sometimes with these blog posts is just capture something that I see that I think we all understand, but maybe hasn't been verbalized or hasn't been written about. And I try to capture, obviously, the point of view of agriculture and agribusiness and see what the opportunities are positively in those for us. At the moment, people are moving away from big branded, conventional, traditional foodstuffs. They consumption of orange juice has dropped a lot. The consumption of breakfast cereals has dropped a lot. People are buying craft. So they're buying craft beers, they're buying craft bread, they're buying, buying craft cheeses, they're buying craft uh, coffees. I mean, who could have imagined, given how good McDonald's coffee is, that you'd want to go and buy much more expensive coffee from somebody else? <laughs> but yes, you know, it's not just people in big cities are doing it. We see it all over the country. Um, the same thing could be said for when you have very safe, very healthy, pasteurized foods, why is it people are embracing food produced in smaller environments, uh, local, uh, perhaps not as safe. A beer that Alltech's been involved in, um, the best beer, if you ask our beer makers, uh, you know, what beer do you think is the best beer in the world? They'll tell you Budweiser because it is incredibly consistent. It is amazing that you could produce so much beer that always has the same amount of foam, always the same amount of carbonation, same taste, and yet consumers have rejected that and moved on towards consuming local beers that quite often are very variable in their quality and don't always taste the same. So it's it's part of what I would call a prosumer movement, that people are uh, not just millennials, but all ages of, of society are starting to look at food as an expression of their values, of what they believe, of what they aspire to, um, how they view society. And maybe maybe we've made food too cheap. You know, maybe the fact that the average US consumer is spending less than 10% of their income on, on food. We see the same thing in Europe. Um, my own home country of Ireland, I think the average consumer is now spending 11%. Uh, when I was growing up, it was more like 20. So you see vast changes uh, globally, even in China, Brazil, uh, South Africa, in terms of not just the uh, upper echelons, people who've got a lot of money, but even people in the middle class and even sometimes people who don't have that much money in what they purchase and what they, they buy. And that is being reflected in, instead of uh, us in agriculture having 10 major customers, 20 major customers dominating 90% of the purchases, where I think we're going to see two, 300 companies representing that top 70 to 90% of purchases. So that changes dramatically how we approach them, how we meet their needs, and their needs won't be as uniform. They won't be as commoditized. I think we're going to see a lot more requests for special this, special that, produced in different ways. Now, everything, uh, every cloud um, has a silver lining, of course, and you can you you can see the the glass is half empty or half full. I'd like to see it is is as half full. I believe. We have the opportunity here to make more money. We have the opportunity to add value, to charge a higher price. These are all things we've talked about. You know, we say all the time that's what we want to be doing in farming. 
Uh, and I think producers have a real opportunity here to meet needs that they may agree with or they may think are a little bit you know, funky or crazy. But the reality is that if we can make more money, why wouldn't we do it? Right. It's a good business decision. And, and I've heard you use that term prosumer a few times before. Is it, is, so is the definition of prosumer somebody who whose consumption choices are a reflection of their values? Is that right? That's how it is defined. Um, originally, it was prosumers defined in terms of people are proactively involved with designing hardware and software and computers. But a company uh, called Havas, a marketing agency, one of the largest in the world, redefined prosumer specifically in terms of this proactive consumer, a consumer proactively making choices, not just in food, but in all aspects, and identified that, depending on the country, somewhere between 20 and 30, 30% of purchasing decisions are now being made based on so-called prosumer values. We all talk about millennials, and we assume that they are unique, but quite often their parents and grandparents are doing exactly the same thing. So I, I believe this prosumer movement is... Uh, certainly has legs. And I believe that it is very important in terms of what we just talked about, the loss in value for the big food companies as they scramble to try to understand how to how to meet these new demands. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. I was born in 82. So I have the luxury or the curse of uh, claiming to be a millennial when it's convenient and, and not being a millennial when it's not convenient. <laughs> but, I'll, but I think you're right. I mean, I think yeah. a, a more broad term that crosses generations and it's more of a trend than it is just a generational difference. Um, it, it makes sense to frame things that way. Any small town you go into, you're going to see a reflection of that nowadays. You never had those uh, coffee shops. You never had some of the, again, specialized stores. Um, so I, I, I think it's, it really is. It's the United States. It's a global phenomenon. You had mentioned uh, the local food movement. It's certainly a growing consumer trend or prosumer trend in this case. Uh, can it scale in your opinion? Yeah, I'm very concerned with the words local. I think it's been come associated with sustainable and it's become associated with in some ways better. And as we understand, you, you can take many examples. I, I know particularly have been heavily used in the United Kingdom, and yet people have shown the the footprint of producing flowers in Colombia or vegetables in Kenya may be lower than purchasing vegetables lo- and flowers locally from somebody who drives it on a truck down a mountainside, you know, with four heads of cabbage on the back of their truck. Hmm. So... I, I think local has some opportunities for us in agriculture. I think quite quickly we could use it as part of a protectionist mechanism. And maybe it sounds attractive because you're thinking, hey, this is going to play in my favor. I think we need to be careful how we use it. But there is no question that when you ask consumers what they're looking for, local does come up a lot. So uh, with the with the warning of just being cautious about not overusing it, I think it is an opportunity for all of us, and I think it reflects, uh, reflects again, this changing consumer movement. Um, if we play it right, it certainly can play in our, our favor, but I don't think we should be using it to try to exclude other people. We should use it to promote what we do well ourselves. Sure, and, and then also begs the question of what is local? Uh, I've heard a few different definitions of that. Absolutely, and I don't think the FDA or <laughs> USDA or anybody else is going to come out with a number, but... Um, it's still, you know, it's exciting times when you think back, and I get into many of these debates with people, particularly in the meat industry, and I say, guys, if you can make more money on this, why get into this discussion? 
yes, you don't want to do it for yourself or you don't want to do it for your own kids. You don't do it for your own family. That's fine. But if somebody wants to pay you more to do something and you can make more money and more profitability, isn't that the business we're in? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to ask you, um, because obviously you have a very busy schedule, but your job as chief innovation officer, I, I would imagine, has to include a lot of just conceptualizing and thinking about things. I know in that speech you gave, you mentioned the importance of daydreaming and, and you even went into kind of the three W's. Um, can you explain that to the audience here and uh, maybe talk a little bit about how should we walk the line between the busyness of, of the hectic, hecticness of our connected lives and, and thinking about innovations? Yes. Um, I, what, what I tried to describe was how you slow your brain down to be creative. And we all, you hear many people saying, I'm not creative. Well, obviously, everybody can be creative. Uh, you don't just need to be an artist to be creative. Many of us come up with extremely creative solutions in our lives uh, to our personal problems, to our business uh, challenges, even sometimes to thinking about what the world requires. But if you think about where your best ideas come from, and I listened to somebody really talking about this who woke me up to it. He said, where, where do your best ideas come from? And I started thinking about the time I had a great idea when I was in the shower. <laughs> Another one when I was out walking around, uh, sometimes obviously going running or cycling. Um, opportunities where you're not being interrupted constantly by your your phone, by your emails, uh, by somebody creating issues that you need to deal with. I'm sure for many of your listeners, if you're out in a tractor and you don't have social media engaged, you're not listening to something, that's when you get the opportunity really in that moment of just some repetitive task where you're doing the same thing your brain synapses slow down, and that's when you're creative. If you're reacting to problems, if you're trying to do something which uh, requires a lot of thinking, you will not be creative. So what I try to describe in those Ws is just to say, if you're showering yourself, if you're walking, if you're, you're out mowing the lawn, if you're, you know, if you're doing repetitive tasks, that's when... So if you have an issue, if you're something you're struggling with, think about it a lot, research as much as possible, do all of that thinking, do all of that researching and have all those ideas in your mind and then create the moment where you've got, where you slow those synapses down by doing some repetitive tasks. We all have ones we like better than others. It doesn't really matter which it is, but that technique has been shown over and over again, all the way from the days of Einstein, the eureka moment of where uh, Archimedes jumped out of his bath when he was uh, naked and ran around the city. Uh, <laughs> you know, all these stories of people who, who had that, fantastic moment where they came up with uh, the solution. If you look at what they actually did, they started off, they started off with uh, researching, with learning, and collecting all the information into the brain, and then created a situation where they were able to switch off from the world and just think about how to solve it. Aiden, usually at the end of, of many interviews, I'll ask about just the guest's perspective on the future of agriculture. But we've had the pleasure of basically talking about that the entire <laughs> the entire time here. So <laughs> I can actually skip that yeah. one this time. But I, I do want to, to ask a couple of questions just about I think a lot of people listening to this are, uh, first of all, going to really engage with it because this is the essence of what this whole show is all about. Uh, but also want to know, uh, number one, how they can get more involved with the work you're doing, either by attending the conference or by connecting with you online? All of those are great ideas. Um, I do have an active LinkedIn page, as you say, 
I have an active Twitter page. I know that some of my younger colleagues say, I'm amazed to see you doing this, but I think it's a great way to reach out to the people I want to be reached out to. And equally, I try to engage with people that send me ideas. Um, from my perspective, our one conference is held in May, attended by three and a half thousand people. They're from all over the world, obviously primarily North America, but still all over the world. You will never meet a group of people like that. And if you want to think about the future of food and agriculture, that's where you should go. I am quite responsive. I won't say very responsive, but quite responsive to emails, old traditional emails. And uh, if somebody needs to talk to me, I'm always try happy to try to fit them in. Um, obviously, we all have busy lives, but there are not too many people out there thinking differently. And I like finding them and I like engaging with them. So if you're one of those, uh, please feel free, contact me directly. And uh, I hope that we'll have the chance to communicate in whatever form that might be. Great. We will include uh, links to your LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, and for the one conference in, in the show notes uh, so that people can engage with you that way. And, and this has been such a pleasure. I really, really appreciate this. Um, and I didn't even ask you, are you in Ireland today or are you in Kentucky? I'm in Ireland at the moment. We run an annual uh, management development program with 200 of our executives from 72 countries. So I'm here for this. Uh, it's a two week. It's over two weeks, um, different groups, different times. And then I'm off to Brazil, China, and Netherlands. So, yes, uh, <clears throat> although I am based out of Kentucky, I, I do keep Delta Airlines quite busy and uh, like to think that that gives me also some insights into where the world of agriculture is going. Certainly. Well, thank you so much, Aiden. I appreciate taking time. Thank you again. Hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Big thank you to Aiden Connolly for being a guest all the way from Ireland on the Future of Agriculture podcast. Uh, I really enjoyed that. I, I love learning about these new technologies that will have either a direct or an indirect effect on the future of agriculture. So it's such an honor to bring someone like that who lives this stuff every single day and provide his insight. Very, very grateful for Aiden uh, for being on the show. As you know, the Future of Agriculture podcast is part of the Farm and Rural Ag Network. There are a lot of good agriculturally related shows on that network. I encourage you to tune in there uh, on farmruralag.com. Or if you're on Twitter, every Thursday night, we host a Fran Happy Hour. Fran stands for Farm and Rural Ag Network. Uh, so hashtag Fran Happy Hour every Thursday night at 8 p.m. Central. Would love to uh, just kind of enjoy a virtual adult beverage with you on that show. Also, we've got another iTunes review. Thank you so much to all of you who have taken the 30 seconds or so to leave a review for this podcast. This one's by Rural Times. Uh, the title says Outstanding. Thank you very much, Rural Times. It says, uh, it is refreshing to have a podcast so deeply rooted in my life and career. Uh, Tim, you have a great gift for asking the right questions. Thank you for bringing agriculture back to life, making it relevant for all audiences. Well done. Rural Times, that that really just uh, is a fantastic review. It really means a lot to me that you, you took the time to share such kind words. So thank you. And thank all of you who have shared the review. If you haven't yet and you have an iPhone or you use iTunes at all, would love for you to find this podcast on iTunes, subscribe, and then leave us a rating and review. Uh, I would be honored to read it on an upcoming episode. Thank you so much for allowing uh, this show to exist and for this show to attract guests as high profile and as insightful as Aiden Connolly. Look forward to bringing to you, to you another great episode next week. Thanks so much.
Thank you for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast with Tim Hammerich. Visit aggrad.com, that's A-G-G-R-A-D.com today to get connected into careers in the agriculture industry. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.